Okay, so we're going to read today about a father in Matthew 9. Go there with me, will you? Matthew 9. We're going to read about a father, and we're going to read about actually two daughters, okay, in just a few verses in Matthew 9. Steve Blair, you feel like reading today? Sure. Okay. <laughs> it took a minute. Minute. <laughs> sure. That, wasn't that convincing? It really. I'm resting up for my birthday. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Matthew nine, verse eighteen and nineteen. If you'd read, start us there. Got me where I can't read. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's his fault. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said. My daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. All right. Now, let me give you a little bit of context, okay? This was probably late in the second year of about three years or so of Jesus' public ministry. If you remember... He conducts a lot of his earthly part, early part, I'm sorry, of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee in the north. Um, he um, kind of in and around, um, especially kind of home base, home for him, was no longer Nazareth, even though it was fairly close to the Sea of Galilee. Home for him became kind of Peter's home in Capernaum. Okay, so um, this is going to factor in the story today. Um, his popularity was very high there. There he had taught about life in the kingdom of God in all these rural areas and towns along the western side of the Sea of Galilee. There his teaching was pointed and wonderful and his spirit was magnetic. And he'd already healed so many people that his reputation had spread far and wide. He had a growing uh, reputation. But... He also had growing public opinion that was negative. It began to polarize. People watched and listened to every word he had to say very closely. Um, in this section um, of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there's going to be a great contrast between Jesus' authority and power uh, as demonstrated in the miracles that he performs and um, the objections of the religious leaders, the elite, the in crowd of his day. So Jesus raised their ire by forgiving sins, by associating with those that he would consider to be kind of marginalized people, and by violating some of their traditions that he felt like weren't exactly God's traditions. And so... What you and I need to remember that he, as he dealt with the growing crowds that surrounded him, he never forgot the individual. And today is going to be kind of a, a good example of that. Um, we're going to look at two ladies with um, different conditions. And both of these circumstances that they were involved in involve tragically common instances of human suffering. So think about maybe somebody around you who is suffering today or maybe somebody in your uh, immediate life or you yourself. So we're going to place this after him doing some teaching 
about a controversy over fasting, whether or not um, uh, the fo his followers should fast. And he's going to say this is no time for mourning and fasting, but instead a time of rejoicing because God's promised redeemer has arrived. The deeds that followed um, are going to provide a glimpse of us in what newness in the kingdom of God is going to look like. And so we're going to see that really lived out in spades in this portion that Steve got started for us. Now, let's go to the verses. There's a couple of things that we need to notice here, okay? And by the way, would you please take a pen or a scripture card or something, or a, a prayer card or something, and go to Mark 5, because we're going to be back and forth between the two quite a bit, all right? Um, why would Matthew remember this story? Somebody read 9-9. Nine, nine. Just jump up the page a bit and read 9-9. Nine, nine. Why would Matthew in particular remember this story? And as Jesus passed forth from him, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Verse 9 of this chapter, Matthew is called to follow Jesus. This is maybe one of Matthew's first excursions with the master. Can you imagine how much more vivid that probably was to him than even things that happened later? Uh, um, now, as I say that, and as we'll read some from Mark's account of these uh, two healings himself, I realize that Mark and Luke actually give a lot more detail, but there's something about Matthew that this thing really sticks in his mind because he had just been called to follow the master. All right, so... Um, uh, he, he was back in Capernaum, according to verse 1 in chapter 9. He's back in Capernaum. Um, and it makes and a man comes to him. Now, the name is not given. His name is not given here, but it's given in Mark. His name is Jairus. But anybody like me used to say Jairus on that one? Okay, I learned. Uh, if somebody's over in Mark 5, read verse 22. That's where we hear who, who this guy is. After Jesus, crossed, oh, that's After Jesus crossed over by a boat, a large crowd met him at the seaside. One of the meeting place leaders called Jairus came. No, you're there. You're there. That's right. We're going to start a fight right here in Sunday school. One of the leaders came. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his knees beside himself as he begged. Okay, so verse 18 kind of gives us that, but it doesn't give us his name, but Mark does in Mark 5.22. Jairus um, is, what's, what's his role in life? He's a synagogue leader. So my question I begin to think about this week is, did he previously know Jesus and how well? The answer to that, I think, would be yes, he did, because Jairus would have been responsible for um, not necessarily teaching in the synagogue himself, but for making sure a teacher was present, a rabbi was present. So how many times, considering that uh, Capernaum was the, the base of operations for Jesus and the Twelve, how many times do you suppose Jairus had said, Rabbi, since you're here today, will you bring the message? 
And so how many times had our new buddy Jairus heard some pretty wonderful teaching? And he'd heard the stories. Maybe in another story, maybe Jairus was one of the synagogue leaders who went to Jesus on behalf of the centurion. You remember that story? Maybe he was one of those guys who went to him and said, um, would, you, would you heal our centurion's servant? servant? Remember that kind of story? So I, I think Jairus did know uh, Jesus quite well, or he'd heard him a lot teach, and he knew that teaching was wonderful. Now, there's a couple of unusual things about him that I want to be sure that we catch here. He had unusual faith. Why would I say that? I think he had a lot of faith because the girl was dead. I, I think you're right. She was not sick. She was, you know, most people are pray for you if you're sick. But not very many people going to come to you and say, would you go pray for somebody we already did? You know, it's funny, Nadine, because uh, in some of, the transla- some of the translations it'll say she was at the point of death. But that's not what the scripture says. I looked the word up this morning. Rhonda saw me this morning. I had 16 books in front of me for some reason this morning. <laughs> The word is she's dead. Jairus says, it's interesting, he's heard Jesus preach, and he comes to him and says, my daughter has, literally the, the phrase was just died. But if you'll come with me. Uh, that's incredible faith, isn't it? I, I, I think. Um, uh, he hadn't performed a resurrection yet. He would. And so, um, and the second thing I notice here is, according to Matthew, his posture was very humble. What was his posture when he came to Jesus? Now, remember, this is a leader. He bowed his knee. He bowed to him. Uh, Mark is going to say in his telling of it that he fell at his feet. That's pretty descriptive, Right? What does that usually imply? Humility and kind of what else? Worship, certainly. Yeah, certainly desperation. Think about that a little bit, you know. He fell at his feet. His humble posture kind of deals with, is dealt with here. Um, now, I just want to ask you, you can, you can write this down on your Outline if you want to, and you don't have to show it to anybody. If you had bowed at Jesus' feet, what would you be asking of him today? Okay. Well, boy, no kidding. What would you be asking of him? What's that thing that's right here that's causing you, like me, to get up at 2.30 at night in the morning, you know, and, and have trouble going back to sleep? What would you be asking of him? Okay, so, according to verse 19, I heard Steve Blair read it. Evidently, Jesus makes house calls. Did you catch that? Jairus says, if you'll go with me, there's still hope. And I I like what it says here. Uh, Basically, Jesus says, let's go. And, and they all turn to go back into Capernaum. Uh, Jesus followed Jairus, and the disciples followed Jesus. 
let's go see what's going to happen here. Okay. Now, Steve, since you're still here, I'm going to have you read a little more, okay, since you're now warmed up. Okay. Read 20 down through 22. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Wow. Okay, so now let's talk about her and her condition. So he's interrupted. He's headed to Jairus' house to touch and heal a 12-year-old girl who had just died. It would seem like time is of the essence. Wouldn't it seem to you? I would think so. But he's willing to be interrupted here. Now, if you would, I know I've already asked you to turn to Mark 5, which we're going to be in and out of there. But if you would, go back to the front of your Bible also and go to Leviticus 15. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to look at it, beginning in verse 16 and down through 27, 28, 29 or so. Just look at it. It's, it's, anyway, it, it's kind of gross. All right. But it's talking about, literally it's dealing in that section in Leviticus about um, this woman's particular issue. She has, uh, Rhonda remembers a song that used to sing and would talk about, uh, she had it, it just kindly says in your song, she had an issue of blood. Okay, so, and that had been going on for 12 years. Now, what you and I need to understand about that is a couple of things about it. In the Talmud, which is um, uh, kind of parallel reading for Pharisaical people and Jewish people in the day, they came up with all kinds of things to expand on Leviticus 15, including some suggested remedies for this problem. Let me give you an example of two or three of them. You could carry around the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in summer for a while. That would fix it. I don't think you've tried that. Didn't work. Okay. Uh, or you can carry those same ostrich egg ashes in cotton uh, during the winter. Now I think it's interesting. Linen in the summer, cotton in the winter. There's got to be some fashion statement there. But um, Or you could find a barley corn found in the dung of a white she donkey. Not a he donkey. But, okay, so, Miriam, how likely are these folk remedies? Okay? And this, my guess is, she's tried every one of them. And yet, what persisted with her, and here I'm going to fill in your, uh, your blanks here, her issue was medical, but it was also social. And it was spiritual because of the law that you're kind of scanning in Leviticus 15 as I'm talking here. Um, uh, literally, um, uh, the, um, um, the, the teaching here in Leviticus is basically, ew. Isn't it? I mean, that's, that's the Hebrew word, ew. Okay, so it's, okay. Don't go near her. Don't touch her. Uh, it literally, if she were here, someone would say out loud, don't sit there. She sat there the other day. That's horrible. Socially. Kinda, 
So the family's getting together for Father's Day. Uh, yeah, but you can't come because of, you know, that, you know, that thing. Okay. How about going to church? Uh-uh. Because of, yeah, you know, it's that thing. So she's, and this wasn't for 12 days, 12 months. It's 12 years. Man. So she stayed away from all gatherings. Uh, So there's a spiritual thing. She can't access teaching. She can't access social interaction. Remember how you felt in the middle of COVID? When I just want to talk to somebody. I'd like to touch somebody. How frustrating that was. 12 years. So in verse 21, she has heard evidently about Jesus. And she's got enough faith here um, in him to both heal and save her. I want you to look at a couple of places here. Let's go to 1022. When she says here, I think if I touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. Um, I want to quote it directly here. Uh, Touch the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, if I can only touch his garment, I will get well. That word get well there in 1022 so it's just kind of across the page in my Bible. In 1022, it's translated, you'll be hated by all because of my name, but it's the one who has endured to the end who will be, you ready, saved. I'll get well, I'll be saved. Uh, look, same word in um, 1925. You, it translated in 1925 uh, kind of the same way. When the disciples heard of this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? Same word used here in chapter 9. I think I can be healed. I think I can be saved. The idea here is her faith was in Jesus to both heal and save her. Now, um, did a little reading about this. Um, Jesus was wearing um, a square Overgarment called a talith. I may not be saying that right, but something like that. It was the customary uh, uh, overgarment, especially of a teacher, and uh, there were all kinds of restrictions for for normal um, um, attire, and then there was especially those, those for uh, rabbis. I read some stuff about uh, a rabbi would never want to appear in public uh, without looking appropriate. You know, his clothes would be clean, for instance. Didn't that kind of fit your image of Jesus? But, um, but he only had one. And, the, and so this square garment that he, wrote, that he wore on the outside of his uh, attire, there was an inner garment as well, um, had on the four corners of it, being square, had on the four corners of it um, uh, tassels, white threads, Wrapped by one, not just in blue, but in hyacinth. It was particular blue. So that he would be recognized as a teacher. 
That's what this lady touched. She saw his tassels. She had heard the story. And uh, she touched that, or she said to herself, if I could just get close enough to him, I, I can't talk to him because I'm not allowed to talk to him. But the, there's these four long white threads knitted together with a hyacinth thread around it. If I can just touch one of those, maybe I can be healed. Maybe I can be saved. Now, tricky question here. And we're going to go to Mark 5, 24 here in just a minute to find this out. What caused her to then be healed? Interesting. Okay. Uh, that, that's a good answer. That will probably get you, uh, you know, into final jeopardy. Um, okay. What is faith? Okay. Huh? I think those two things are hope for a better day, faith. But go with me, go with me here to Matthew, to uh, sorry, Mark five. All it said is again, Matthew uses an economy of words here to talk about uh, the lady, and he says here, um, um, "If I only touch his garment, I will get well." But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, "Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well." Uh, Estelle, I think I heard you say, "Courage." It's courage here that is her courage is called out. Her faith is called out, but. Let's go to Mark 5, all right, just for a second. Somebody read verse 30, Mark 5, 30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? This is, she didn't just kind of rub a rabbit's foot here. She didn't have faith that if I do that, she did have faith, I had hope, that if encouraged to do it, that if I touch him, I'll be healed. But what did Jesus notice that's not mentioned here in Matthew 9, but it's mentioned in Mark 5? She had, she had a lot of faith because she touched the hem of his garment. She just, just believed that much that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was right, but there was something that went out from him that healed her. In fact, he noticed it. Whoa, who touched me? I felt something. Don't you know she felt something too? So what, what we got to catch here. Um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a group where we would often try to find some person of faith to pray over somebody who was sick. And, that, and that's a good thing. You see that exercise here. You see it exercised in Jairus and the healing of his daughter in a little bit. But I got to be careful that I don't think too highly of the faith and forget who the faith is placed in. Are you following me here? I, I, I got to be really, really clear here. I think I got to be really, really here clear, clear here that the power that healed this woman emanated from Jesus. It came from him. It was Jesus healed her also by virtue of her faith. It's also that we can, the Bible says, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall become. So in, uh, Jesus has given us that when we become part of him, we can have that by faith. And he says, according to your faith, he said, you can move mountains if you believe, only believe. Because somebody asked, why come the disciples couldn't do it? He said, because of their unbelief. And so because of our belief, 
we're able to practice that same faith because it's not us doing it, but God through us. If we, he said, there, and there are people that have the gift of healing also. I, I got to be really careful here. And I, I agree completely with you that this is a story about faith and hope. But it's about who the faith and hope are placed in. If, if I said to a mountain, be moved, I can't do that. And Jesus doesn't say I can do that. He says it can be moved, but he would have to do the mountain moving. Exactly. Okay? That's what's happening right here. There is a power that emanates from him. There is something that goes out from him that does the healing. And her faith was in that. Now, meanwhile... Back at Jairus' place. By the way, Jesus says, calls her daughter. Don't you love that? Daughter. Little girl. Oh, that's just wonderful. Okay, let's read the rest of the story. Cindy, can I get you to read 23 down through 26? When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Okay. Now, what did Jesus find when they got or began to approach uh, Jairus' house? By the way, in another telling of this, um, if the girl was near death, by the time they get there, they've gotten word that she's already died. So... Um, but what was what was um, what was the scene that they came up on? Party. Did, a party, but not the kind of party you and I kind of would like to go to. This was a dirge. It was it was a wake. It was a it was a loud cacophonous mess. All right. So the the idea here is this was not a quiet moment. Look over at 1117. He's going to say something in a, in a candid moment. I say and say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. There were dirges being played and sung. Um, now, a dirge in the, the ancient uh, Near East uh, was designed, okay, interestingly, the dirge was designed to be loud enough to make enough noise in order to demonstrate how loved the deceased person was. Isn't that interesting? So the louder you play, the louder you wail, the more you're representing your deep grief. Ron and I watched a really good movie last night um, uh, called Greater. Um, Anyway, uh, what I didn't like, the only thing I didn't like about this movie is when, when this young man dies, the mother just wailed. And maybe that is what happened. But if I'm seeing that, uh, an actress playing that role as the mom, I don't know if I'd like that. But, but the ideal is, I'm going to make enough noise so you know how serious this is to me. So that's what he came up on. It's not a quiet moment. And uh, the mourners, maybe some of them have been paid to come and wail or to play the pipes. Those people knew about death. 
They recognized when it saw it. They'd been on this kind of scene before. They knew a lot about death. But they failed to recognize life. Uh, in John 1, um, John is going to call him the light of life. In uh, John 14, 6, in red, Jesus is going to identify himself as the life, the life, the way, the truth, and the life. They knew a lot about death, but maybe they didn't know a whole lot about life. And life is standing before them, capital L, life. And so, I love the command here. Go away. The noisemakers. Would you just get out of here for a minute? Let me do what I got to do. And the Bible tells us that in the next few minutes, only Peter, James, and John went with him forward. And the father, Jairus. And Jesus touches her hand. And wakes her up. Now, the question is in verse 25, was this girl only asleep? Um, I, I think we got to kind of deal with this a little bit here. Uh, we're still in Mark, so somebody read Mark 5.43. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and command that something should be given her to eat. Okay, so the, the idea here is um, um, he's, he's going to command them a couple of things here. I've, ju I've jumped a little bit ahead. Um, uh, but, the, but the idea is here that um, um, she was in fact dead. Um, uh, I did a little bit of the word work on this and it took me, I had to remember uh, John 11 um, um, where um, Jesus says um, if you kind of scan that when Lazarus had died and he doesn't immediately go to Lazarus and he says um, he's only asleep, we'll get there in a few days and the guys, guys thought that Lazarus was just sleeping. And Jesus literally says, Lazarus is dead. That, that kind of clears it up for me. And in fact, uh, when he goes to wake Lazarus up, Martha says, uh, Lord, you don't want to go in there. He's been dead four days. It stinks in there. Uh, literally, he says that in John 11. So, but he had used the term sleeping there too. Uh, so clearly here, in comparison, the girl was quite dead. And so he raises her back to life. And a resurrection, can you bet, couldn't be really kept all that quiet. What Joe read a minute ago, uh, what, what um, our brother over here read just a bit ago, is, is the idea that he said, don't talk about this but they couldn't keep it quiet. Now, let's apply this and we'll go. I'm often, um, when I am uh, teaching at a funeral, I often use uh, John 5, 24. Truly I say to you, he who believes my word 
hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Uh, There is power and authority in Jesus here in Matthew 9 and in your life and in this place and in our day that eradicates not only disease, but it eradicates death. He is more than a doctor. He's your Savior. You hear me? He's more than a doctor. He's your Savior. And and there are times when I will ask him for some kind of miraculous healing, and I realize, Paul, what you've gone through this last week, that ultimate healing is now in heaven. A 12-year-old girl and a daughter, Jesus called her, who had been suffering for that same 12 years. Um, Both of them suffering and both of their families suffering. And he makes such a difference here because he is life. He understands death. And he understands life. Well, bless you. Happy Father's Day. My Father's Day just got better. Did you see who walked in over here? Yeah. Um, I hope hope you have a moment today to think on your dad, um, good or bad. And I hope you have a moment today to thank someone who has been taking that role for you in some way. God bless you. See you next week.